May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. On this third Sunday of Advent, at the very beginning of Mass, a medieval congregation would hear in Latin today's words from St. Paul to the Philippians. Gaudete in Domino Semper, which means rejoice in the Lord always. Even today, we call this Gaudete Sunday. Rejoice Sunday, if you will. We are close enough to Christmas now to light the lighter colored pink or rose candle on our Advent wreaths, which heightens our sense that again in Paul's words, the Lord is near. We're supposed to be like children on their tiptoes, longing for and expecting an event, the coming of the Lord, which is wonderful beyond measure. St. Paul gives the church at Philippi amazing reasons for rejoicing in the Lord's coming. They don't have to worry anymore. God will provide for them, hearing their prayers that come from a thankful heart and giving them the peace which passes all understanding, the peace which the world cannot give. For many, frankly, this seems too good to be true. Bah humbug, we might say, with Ebenezer Scrooge. This doesn't seem to make sense looking at the world around us. Either we are ill ourselves or someone we love is. We may be grieving the death of one or more people whom we love. Either we or someone we care about is in trouble with finances, with addiction, with depression, or with a host of other personal problems. We may, we may naturally worry about the next step in our working lives or in our relationships. And then there's the world around us. Governments literally get away with murder while children starve. Rising seas threaten to wipe away coastal areas where people have successfully lived for thousands of years. Many view our society and world from an adversarial perspective of us against them, which keeps people from understanding each other or working together. Can we or even should we rejoice amid such suffering and strife? It helps tremendously, I think, to remember the circumstances in which Paul wrote this letter. Things weren't hunky-dory then either. The apostle is writing in chains in a Roman prison. Rejoice in the Lord always. Can't move my arm, but rejoice in the Lord always. The Christians to whom he writes don't have it easy either. They are facing persecution, threats from false teachers, and conflict between Euodia and Syntyche, two women who were leaders in the congregation. Some things don't change in the church. What in, what in the world did Paul have in mind when he declared that the Philippians had cause for profound rejoicing? He was thinking of what inspired the wise men in Matthew's account when seeing the star over Bethlehem, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. The Lord was near. The Lord 
was at hand. That in and of itself is cause for rejoicing. Why? I think today's collect helps us see why the Lord's presence makes such a difference, no matter how rough things are. You know, they call this stir-up Sunday. I hope we never trash that collect. Stir up your power, we pray, and with great might come among us. That's an ancient collect. When the Lord is at hand, when God is near in Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit, there is saving power beyond measure. If we have trouble believing it, we should take in yet again the testimony of countless witnesses from the first disciples onward. They too suffered, but they had faith that in Jesus the light had dawned, and that, as Paul said, their present suffering was as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed. We, the children of God through grace, have access to tremendous power. This is the same power that created all things in the first place, the power that delivered the Israelites from bondage in Egypt, the power that overshadowed the Virgin Mary and along with her conceived the Christ child, the power that Jesus exhibited in healing the sick and in restoring sinners to peace with God and each other, the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power is ours. It turns sadness into joy. It brings life out of death, just as it did in the case of Jesus himself. I, I love how that reading, today's reading from Zephaniah talks about a God turning things around for good. And our, our hymn we just sang, I love this, um, says, um, uh, granting victory in our strife. Isn't that good? We don't usually associate Advent and Christmas with divine power and what it can do. Often we simply think of a meek and mild baby Jesus. But we should remember that Advent and indeed Christmas are also about the coming of our Lord in power and great glory. In our opening hymn this morning, we sang the last verse was, it's all good, but the last verse is, Yea, amen, let all adore thee. High on thine eternal throne, Savior, take the power and glory. Claim the kingdom for thine own. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Thou shalt reign and thou alone. There is a subtext to the biblical nativity stories that Christ's coming initiated a struggle between competing forces, God's power versus worldly power. This is especially apparent in Matthew's account, where God's power, as represented by the Christ child and his humble parents, ultimately prevails over the evil forces represented by King Herod. The bottom line is encapsulated in the title of Rob Bell's popular book, Love Wins. Yes, Advent and Christmas have a lot to do with power. The power of God in Jesus whose very name given to Joseph by an angel means the one who saves. For many historical and cultural reasons, we Episcopalians shy away from emphasizing divine power, coming to shake things up, transforming situations for good, 
beyond our imagining. We have that English reserve. We like things to be smooth and predictable. For good reasons, our worship is much more scripted than in most other Protestant traditions. And we also pride ourselves on intellectual openness, which is a good thing, but which may at times inhibit our proclamation that God really is here, no doubt, as he was, not, not that we can't doubt as individuals, but as a church, we don't doubt God is here as he was at Bethlehem and on Calvary and at the empty tomb, and that we have sure and certain access to the same divine power that worked wonders in those places and in many other places thereafter. We do have a little Pentecostal fire in us, I think. It's just kind of sometimes a little beneath the velvet, but it's, but, um, but it's, uh, it's there, and it brings joy to, to know that power is something that God has entrusted to us, his church to make his, uh, his saving presence in Christ manifest among us and in the world around us. This is a, a powerhouse, literally. As today's gospel suggests, it all starts with baptism. In recent weeks, I've had the privilege of helping prepare parents and godparents for their children's baptism in January. We have emphasized that baptism is not just symbolic. It is a sacrament in which God the Father spiritually unites a person, even an infant, with his son Jesus by means of the Holy Spirit and also thereby unites the person with everyone else who is a part of Christ's body, the church. In the process, sins are forgiven and the candidate receives grace and power to shine Christ's light in this dark world. It's a transforming event. In baptism and beyond, the Spirit burns away worldly attachments and selfish ways, enabling us to let go of our unhealthy attachment to material things, to parts of the past we should leave behind us, and to our countless ways of acting out of fear rather than faith. It, bring, it makes possible a, a new day. By means of the Spirit, God in Christ reconciles us and gives us the peace only God can give, which the world so desperately needs. Paul and the Philippians experienced this, and if we think about it, so have we. No wonder we rejoice, despite all our trials. We receive the same amazing grace today when we come to this holy table to be fed by the sacrament of Christ's body and blood. This isn't just symbolic either. God in Christ is truly present by means of the Spirit to renew our union with God, which was sealed in our baptism, and to restore us and empower us for service in Christ's name. Something big, something powerful happens here. I pray that through our ministry in this place, we can convey by what we say and do the saving power God makes available to us and through us in these and many other ways so that more and more folks will be drawn to him, not only at Christmas and Easter, 
but every single day of the year. I close with words from an ancient Advent prayer which expresses our longing and expectation as we celebrate the nearness of God. I look from afar, and lo, I see the power of God coming. Stir up thy strength, O Lord, and come to reign over thy people. Amen.